Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. Today we're going to talk about joy robbers. You have them, I have them, we all have them. We encounter them every day. And in fact, you're probably sitting there dealing with some of them right now. And uh, we want to talk about that as we have been thinking about this whole idea this year of living a joyful life um, based out of uh, Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. In his presence, there is the fullness of joy. So this morning, we want to talk a little bit about um, those who will rob us of that joy. And so I want to talk about that and and, uh, kind of walk through it. If you would, you have your Bibles there. Uh, Last week, if you were here, you know that I didn't put it up on the screen because I wanted to make you work for it. Uh, This week, I'm kind. I'm nice. I put it up on the screen for you. But I encourage you, use your Bible in front of you if you would, if you have it. And you can look on the screen, that's fine. Um, But I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me as I read um, our passage today. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? Philippians chapter 1, and you say, well, what are you going to read, Pastor? Well, I'm going to read all of it. You're like, okay, all of chapter 1. No, do you follow along and I'll stop when I'm done. Okay, how's that? You be attentive, okay? Don't get sidetracked. Don't don't let your ADHD go crazy, all right? Stay focused on the text, and let's read God's Word. We're going to read a big chunk of it this morning, okay? So I'm not going to start off with any big stories or anything. We're going to jump in because I know you've got places to go, things to do, people to see. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent And so be sure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing what I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that in every way, whether in the pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with faith, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am to live in the flesh. That means faithful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you shall not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by good news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel, and I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister of my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, a zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do for Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are immature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Udio and I entreat Sitticus to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking out of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I don't know, Logan, if you were celebrating that we were done or just celebrating that we got to read the Bible. It's long, right? Hey, listen, I am a firm believer. If you don't know this, I believe that this is alive and active, that this is truly the word of God. And this is what pierces hearts, men, men's hearts and minds. It's not my words. This is what's powerful. And so why did I read a whole book of the Bible? So that the God's word may penetrate your heart. Because this is what's alive. This is what's going to change your life. I'm going to share some things with you, but it's taken from this. This is what we have to read. That's why I'm a strong proponent of reading God's word during this service. I'll get off my hobby horse, okay? Move on. Read the Bible. Read it. Don't just read men's words. Read God's word. Amen? Okay, you're alive. This morning I want to share with you this idea of uh, four, four joy robbers. And it really comes from um, a, a commentary that I read through and that was helpful to me. Um, it's by Warren Wearsby. He has his B, uh, B commentaries, B-E, 
which I found it was interesting, Warren Weir's B. Uh, I don't think he did it for that, but it's pretty cool. Um, play on names. It, it, it's really, really good. All right. I'm not going to plagiarize. I'm not going to stand here and tell you a sermon that I came up with myself. I do believe that there's nothing new under the sun. So what one preacher preaches should probably be heard uh, um, uh, in the same way around the world. I do want to use the resources that Warren Wearsby has put together. And so you're going to see that on the screen. Um, these four joy robbers, he calls them thieves um, uh, that rob you of your joy. And so we're going to talk about these four uh, joy robbers, and he gets it from this, uh, from this book, the book of Philippians. Um, before we dig in, would you pray with me though? Lord, we need your spirit to reveal to us your truth. Lord, so often we can come before your word and we can come arrogantly, we can come proudfully, or we can come shut off where we don't want to hear, or we want to hear only what we want to hear. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will reveal your truth to us this morning. Help us to be open and receptive, Lord, so that we can take the truth of your word and not just be hearers of your word, but maybe doers of your word this morning and the rest of our life, Lord. I pray that the truths that we glean from your word wouldn't just be something that, that mentally, academically, Lord, uh, that we can gain more knowledge, but Lord, that it truly would affect how we live our lives today and this week moving forward. Lord, we can't do that by ourselves. We need you, the living and active God who resides in us to help us to do that. And so, Lord, may it start in me and may it start here in this place, Lord. Use your word in a rich way. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Four joy robbers. The first is this, circumstances. Circumstances. I wonder how many of your circumstances can you control? I started thinking about this and there's a few things that I can control. I'd like to think that I can control more things, right? And uh, I'm not going to pick on anybody specific, but how many of you can control the weather today? Anybody? Because we're going to jump you afterwards, so if you can. You can't control the weather. You can't dictate what the weather's going to be. How many of you can dictate and control the traffic? Right? Well, you can get an accident, back up traffic, all right? How many of you get mad when you're sitting in traffic or that person who won't get over in the left lane? I'm sorry. I use it as an example because we're all prone to do this. We're all prone to look at our circumstances and to think that we have some control over them, over what somebody says or what somebody does. When you're in the store and they're moving their cart and they stop and they go get something and they leave their cart right in your way and you can't even get around them. You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's things one after another and you think about it. The circumstances that we walk in through every single day can rob us of our joy. And yet we must first stop and we must think about this. How many of them can we really control? How can you control those circumstances? God has placed you there. He's put you there for a reason. And it's to work on you. 
There's a poet, Brian wrote, men are the sport of circumstances. I ask you, as Paul is writing this book, where is Paul? Paul's in prison. And yet, what is the word that you hear over and over and over again? Joy, rejoice, be happy. I count it all joy. He says it over and over. I'm going to tell you rejoice. Let me say it one more time. Rejoice. And yet, here he is in the circumstances where he's living. He's found shackled away from the people that he loves. And in fact, there's some who are in their opposition of him making the gospel, demeaning the gospel because of what's happened to Paul. And yet, what's his attitude? It's one of much difference than the way I look at my circumstances. We walk around as very proudful people, don't we? I don't deserve this. This shouldn't be the way that it is. It is. I deserve more. Second is this people, you know, <laughs> the people that you live with, you work with, you shop with, you worship with. Can you ever really get away from people? That's why I love to go to Canada on our wilderness trips, because we go out there and, and yet it's still with people, <laughs> our group, but I love getting away from everybody. I have a friend who owns property up in Michigan, and he allowed me to go up there um, during my sabbatical this last year. And I loved it because I took our little camper pop-up and drove it up there and parked it in the corner of this field, and there wasn't another person around for miles. It was awesome. It was awesome until my phone alerted me that uh, there was a tornado coming. And that there was hail the size of tennis balls on its way. And I looked at my old pop-up camper from 1995. And I thought, hmm, I don't think that thing's going to do tennis ball size hail. So you start to think, okay, what, what, what could happen out here? I'm kind of here all by myself. See, even in our isolation, we, God has made us so that we need people. You might not like people. Or like being around people. I know that God has wired me in such a way that I, I really need people. I enjoy those interactions. But that doesn't mean that people don't get annoying to me. Or that people aren't difficult to deal with. People are a joy robber at times. Lisa and I have said it this way. Working in ministry, and this is true for any of you. There are those people who are joy givers. And there are those people who are joy suckers. And I can be that type of person on any given day. I can be a joy giver on a certain day. And in a certain moment, in a certain time, in a certain place, I can be a joy sucker and suck the joy out of someone. So in spite of who people are and what Paul is dealing with, both in the opposition, where he's at in jail, being imprisoned by those who imprisoned him, He's still having to think about the people that he's encountering that he has encountered. We will continue to have people. You will have people in your life. There's no getting away from that. Even if you go live to be a hermit in the great hills of West Virginia, 
at some point you're going to have to probably encounter someone for something. I'm not setting that as a challenge to you, okay? It's just the truth. It's where we live. It's how we live. The third is this, things. Things. I want to read to you uh, what Warren Wiersbe, he gives this, this story, this analogy. I thought it was fantastic. He says, a wealthy man was moving into his mansion, and his Quaker neighbor, who believed in the simplicity of life, was watching the activities carefully. When the neighbor counted the number of chairs and tables and the vast amount of um, items that were being carried into the house... He finally said to the Lord of the mansion, neighbor, if thou dost need anything, come to see me and I will tell thee how to get along without it. That's not the story we hear today, is it? That's not what my email is being bombarded with right now as Black Friday approaches. Things. Contentment is not a word that we use and we hear a lot today. Contentment actually can be a lost treasure that no one is looking for. No one's searching for it. Abraham Lincoln was once out with his boys, his two boys, and as they were walking, they were whining and crying, and somebody said to him, hey, what, what's wrong with your boys? And he said, well... The problem is this, I have three walnuts and they each want two. Is that you? Things, things that last forever are not cheap, but that yet they provide the greatest joy. The fourth is this, worry, worry. This is wrong thinking in our mind and wrong feelings in our heart. This may be the worst of all the joy thieves. They're robbing us of the, the peace and the fulfillment that God desires us to have. And in fact, there's physical consequences. Again, you watch TV or you are on even YouTube and you'll see these commercials that pop up over and over again about how medicine or a certain diet or these certain things will help you um, from these consequences. But the truth is, is that medicine can remove the symptoms, but it cannot remove the cause. Because why? It's an inside job. Get that? You can purchase sleep at the drugstore, but you can't purchase rest. Paul had a reason to worry. Warren Wearsby writes this, if Paul wanted to worry, he had plenty of occasion. He was a political prisoner facing possible execution. His friends in Rome were divided in their attitude towards his case. He had no mission board supporting him, no legal aid society defending him, but in spite of all these difficulties, Paul does not worry. Instead, he writes a letter filled with joy and tells us how to stop worrying. 
Let's look at this now. I want to give you four protectors and producers of joy. I don't know if your house has uh, an alarm system. Um, we used to have a dog growing up. That was our alarm system. And uh, whenever Bud or Tiger or Rusty, we didn't have them all at the same time. They one at a time. Whenever they barked, we knew somebody was around. Well, there's certain protectors that Paul gives us here. And there's one for each chapter that Warren Wearsby highlights. And I want to give those to you here this morning. Four protectors or producers of joy. The first is this. What's going to help us if we think about our circumstances? That first joy robber. Paul says this. He says that in his imprisonment, it's for Christ in verse 13. Verse 16, he says this, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And so Paul's first emphasis here is on a single mind. On a single mind. There's, there's a lot going on in your life, isn't there? And life doesn't get simpler. It gets more complex. And so as you walk throughout all the circumstances of whatever your day holds and whatever your week has... Paul gives us an antidote. He gives us a protector. He gives us something that will help produce that joy in our lives. And it's this. This single mindset. He talks about when you have a single mind, your circumstances will work for you and not against you. See, God doesn't want us to be double-minded. James writes about this in James 1.18 and warns us double-minded men are unstable in all their ways. We walk around sometimes being double-minded or triple-minded or quadruple-minded. I don't know what five is. But it's a lot-minded. Paul calls us to a single mind. Through Christ, it is always about him. He is the lens that we look at the rest of our life and the rest of our circumstances. So as you go throughout your circumstances, you have one lens to look through it. Look at Christ. That's why I love back in the day, and it's kind of coming back a little bit, those little bracelets. What would Jesus do? WWJD. Because it reminded people to look through that lens Okay, if I'm in the circumstances, how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do? That's the call for us. When you're stuck in traffic, how do you respond? You look at it through the lens of Christ. See, that's not just going to happen though, right? You have to work at it. It's hard work. And yet that single-mindedness comes from being in the word, knowing him, talking with our God, our our Savior, the one who loves us, so that we get his mind. Paul mentions it all throughout this first chapter. The mind of Christ. It's a call for you and I to be single-minded. Don't become distracted. Don't look at your circumstances through a lens that says that you have ownership or you have all these rights. No, in fact, we don't have any rights. We've laid down our rights to follow the one who has given us everything, who's given us 
the forgiveness of our sin, who's given us life eternal with him. So we've laid down our lives in order to follow him. So don't think that you have all these rights, but don't think that you've lost anything. In fact, you've gained it all. And that's what Paul's like, hey, if I die today, that's all right. That's gain. And if I live, it's gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He has this perspective that looks through his circumstances with the eyes of Jesus, whatever he wants. So if you're in the, the, the shopping center and things are backed up and things aren't going your way and there's just rude people, how does Christ see them? How does Christ want you to act and behave? I got things to do. I got places to go. Yes, you do. Maybe God is trying to slow you down to give you a single mind. It's not easy. I'm not here throwing stones at you today because I have a glass house. My circumstances often dictate my joy or rob me of them, I should say. Don't let your circumstances rob you of your joy. Put on a single mind like Paul did. The second protector and producer of joy is this, a submissive mind. A submissive mind. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. Let me phrase it this way. I like my own way. And my way is the best way. I'm not going to ask you if you ever said that, but you probably thought that. You probably acted that out. If you haven't done it yet this morning, it probably will happen sometime today. A submissive mind. Submission means to lower yourself in rank, to come underneath, to be able to submit my desires and my wants. And Paul writes this in chapter 2, verse 3, where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Is that the way you look at people? Woo, doggy. Sometimes I look at people and just scratch my head and say, man, what are they thinking? Like I'm some intelligent guy who's got it all together, right? Come on now, man. We like our own way. We want it the way we want it. What's interesting is Paul uh, writes this, he uses Jesus as the first example, and then he uses himself in verses 12 through 18, and then he uses Timothy, and then he talks about Epaphroditus. So he isn't just using one example, he's helping us to see over and over again, these men who were willing to submit their mindset and to follow what God had for them. What an example for us as we think that we have it all together and we know what's best. And yet we're charged, we're commanded, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You know what's going to rob you of your joy? When you think that you know what's best or when you think that you're better. 
We don't come out and say that. I don't come out and say that. I would never say that to my wife. But that's what I'm saying to her when I want my way. Do nothing. Do nothing. A submissive mind. Again, it looks through a lens of Christ. One where I'm willing to lower myself. We live in a day and age where we are told to continue to place ourselves higher. And yet Christ calls us to lower ourselves. We just talked about in our class earlier. By the way, if you missed it, you're missing out on a good class. Not because I'm a teacher, the teacher of it, which I think is okay. But I think you're missing out because you're missing a great class in the interaction of going through God's word. We just saw John the Baptist. And here's John the Baptist who is saying about this argument that's going on about, hey, John the Baptist, all your followers are, are leaving and they're following Jesus now. And he's like, hey, that's the way it's supposed to be. I must decrease so that he must increase. Is that how you build an enterprise? Oh my goodness. You won't have much going for you if you keep that mindset. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's so contrary to the way the world does things. Don't puff yourself up. And when you're prone to do that over the course of this next week, as you interact with more and more people, let me encourage you. Ask the Lord for help and submit. Submit to the Lord. Have a submissive mind. Third is this, to have a spiritual mind. Have a spiritual mind. I love what Paul writes here in chapter 3, verses 19 um, and 20. Where he says that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. With mindset set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a spiritual mindset. I don't know if you know the story about uh, Jim Elliott. If you don't, you should do a little research and look him up. He went along with a group of other men who went to go and to be a witness and testimony to um, the Akat Indians in Ecuador. And ultimately him and some other men went and as they landed their plane and reached out to this tribe, they were, they were slaughtered, they were killed. Left... Their wives decided that they weren't going to just continue on with life. That there was a tribe that still needed to reach with the gospel. And so they left and they went and ministered to that tribe. And that tribe, many of them got saved with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott, who was killed by that tribe, said this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When you think about things, possessing them, what are you taking with you? What are you looking for? In those things because you're not able to take them with you. You've heard that story about is there a U-Haul that follows the hearse? 
You're going to throw all those things in with you in that box so that you can have them in the next place. Uh, They're not going to go with you. I'm sorry. People dig them up. We will not possess things. We are called not to possess things because why they will possess us if we're not spiritually minded. I love Paul's wording here in verse 8 and verse 14 when he talks about this. The active words of I count, I press on. He has this spiritual mind that's focused on doing what God has called him to do. It's not about the stuff. Paul goes throughout chapter 3 and he, he says that he's learned the art of having a lot and having little. And through it all, he said, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he follows that up with a verse that we like to throw out and say, for our own pride and our arrogance to do whatever we want to do. But he says it here, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's because his mind is set on the spiritual things, not to pursue all the other things that the world has for him to offer. And yet we, we can be so easily distracted by more and more things. It's part of our world that we live in. And we have to fight against that. I will tell you, as I get more and more things, there's more and more things to take care of. Things break. Some of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody had a furnace break last night. Does that mean we can't have furnaces? No, I'm not saying that. Somebody had a car break down. We shouldn't have a car. No, it's a reminder to us that our stuff will not give us that joy eternally. They all break. It falls apart. Things can rob us of our joy. I won't ask any guy who works on things and repairs them to raise their hand if they've ever gotten frustrated with it. Why does it seem like any project that I dig into, it's never that simple? Just like five illustrations just came to my mind. I won't give them. You know what I'm talking about. You dig into it, you open that wall up and you're like, oh no. That's not what was supposed to be there. Or you start working on that car and you're like, dude, all I need is that one bolt to come off. Why won't it come off? You start laundry and you're like, well, the dryer's broke. Things can quickly overtake us. They're robbers of our joy. So what can help us? What can protect us? What can produce joy? It's a spiritual mind. It's a spiritual mind. It's to say, I want my mind set not on these earthly things, but on heavenly things. To say, all right, God, you got a plan. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. 
I have failed greatly in this area. And my children could attest to it. And for that, I'm sad. For you, I wonder, like me, can we continue to ask the Lord to help our mind be set on spiritual things? Which leads us to this last and final protector and producer of joy. And that is the secure mind. The secure mind. Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will stand and guard as a garrison your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes our wrong thinking and our wrong feelings come because we don't have a secure mind. The peace of God will fill us. It will guard our hearts and our minds if we allow him to be the center of our focus. You see, this fourth hinges upon the first three mindsets. If I'm singular in my mind, if I'm submissive in my mind, and if I'm spiritual focused in my mind, then ultimately this fourth one is going to flow from those. I will be secure. And that's what Paul writes about. I don't care about my circumstances. You know those people that oppose me? Eh, that's all right. The gospel's still getting preached. It's like, you know, all these things, mm, whether I have them or I don't have them, it's okay. Because my mind's set on heavenly things. And oh, by the way, be anxious for nothing. But, but you need to, in Thanksgiving, go to prayer, go to God, be secure in your thinking because there is a God who's in charge of it all. Focus on him. Put your mind and your heart on him. And he will give you whatever you need. Because you're his child. And he knows you. And he knows what's best for you. So if you need a traffic jam, God's got it for you. Some of you are fighting it. Some of you continue to, I, I see it from weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years. That's the beauty of being your pastor. I get to see it in your lives. Sometimes you guys are missing it and I miss it too. It's the same thing. It just looks a little bit different. The circumstances may look different, but God calls me to patience. God calls me to slow down. The people may look different, but he calls me to love them and to submit my desires and my wants. Those things that I continue to run to, God continues to help me to see they're not a fulfillment of long-term joy. And in fact, they're frustrating. And when I'm out of control and things are out of my hands and I can't manipulate circumstances or people or things and the worry just builds and builds... What do we do? 
Here's a few questions as we finish. What does the fullness of joy look like to you? Some of you are walking around with like 10% joy. No, God's given us the opportunity to have the fullness of joy. I've said this before. Why does it seem like some of the most miserable people on the earth are Christians? We should be the most joy-filled people in the world. Why? Because we have the presence of the living God that we get to run to, that we can cling to. We have God living inside of us to help us if we will allow him to control us and to lead us. If we are willing to be obedient, to lower what we want and to be obedient to what he has said and what he wants. So what does the fullness of joy look like in your life? You're not going to find it in your circumstances. You're not going to find it in people. You're not going to find it in things. The fullness of joy is found in one place and it's in the presence of the Lord. That's where it's found. What circumstances rob you of joy? What circumstance are you in right now that's robbing you of joy? Don't let it anymore. Stop it. What people irritate you or are robbing you of joy? They might not even know it. And that doesn't mean you need to go tell them how irritating they are. <laughs> you need to ask the Lord for help and you need to repent. You need to tell God, God, I'm sorry that I am not looking at that person the way that you look at them. I do not love that person the way that you love that person. But we don't want to repent. We don't want to submit. I'm calling us today. If you want to experience joy, be quick to repent. Stop. Realize what does it look like to experience the fullness of joy. What things are you pursuantly consumed with? Yes, it is a word. I looked it up before I put it on there. What thing or things are you pursuantly consumed with? Because the truth is they will not produce for you the joy that you think that they will. Not long term. Not compared to what God offers to you. What are you worrying about that robs you of your joy? What's consuming you out of worry? And here's the final question. What, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about this? Paul gives us the answers through the book of Philippians. If you're not been reading the word of God, just start and start reading it again. Read Philippians and dig through it. He gives us the solutions. God gives us the answers. He gives us the help. It's not like we get to walk through life without a textbook. He gives it to us. And even though I fail time and time again, God is great. He is merciful and gracious and kind to me. Even when I get mad at those stupid things that I shouldn't get mad at. I lose my patience or. Folks, we have the answers. 
nobody's going to live your life for you. You get to live it. That choice is yours. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and to be your God, are you going to do it his way? Because to be in the presence of a holy God means that I'm submitting to what I want. Isaiah says, "How I'm a man of unclean lips. When he sees God, he's like, I, I can't speak for you. I can't talk. I, I can't even communicate. God reaches out and puts that hot coal and cleanses him and makes him right. Anytime there's an encounter with the living God like that, uh, folks, we, there's a realization of who we, how little we are and how great and how awesome and holy and perfect our God is. And so don't think that we, can, we have to run to God in perfection. No, he cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. But don't run to him thinking that you have all the answers and that you're going to tell God how it should be. Because that will not produce the joy that God desires for you. We come enjoying the fullness of joy in his presence. As we sang, as Andrew shared, we leaned back into him, allowing him to speak to us, to guide us. And we're called to listen and to be obedient. Good challenge for us as we enter to this week of Thanksgiving, right? I'm positive. Write it down, put an envelope, we'll seal it, bring it out next week. You're going to have circumstances and people and things that are going to be really challenging this week. They're going to try to attempt to rob you of your joy. What kind of mind are you going to have? Let's pray and let's, let's ask the Lord's help. Lord, as we leave from here today, we thank you for the privilege of gathering and worshiping you, of giving you the praise and the glory that you rightfully deserve. You are an awesome God. We thank you for the salvation that you've granted to us. You've extended through your grace the forgiveness of our sin. When we claim Jesus as our Savior, realizing that it's not just a prayer that we pray or a thought that we think, but that we grab a hold of the truth, the gospel, that we realize we're lost, headed for an eternity apart from you in a real place called hell. And yet you sent your son Jesus and he died on the cross for us, taking our sin upon himself, paying that punishment, paying the penalty to free us from the bondage of sin. And we accept you as Savior to believe that you died and were buried and rose again three days later. We die to ourselves. We accept the one perfect gift that you offer to us, Jesus. We turn from our sin and we're called to live for you. Knowing that it's not ourselves that is now Lord of our life, but we're allowing Jesus to be Lord of our life. And in so doing, we are called to obedience. We're to obey you. 
to listen to your word and to live it out. And so I pray that you would help us to do that this week, to do it this day. And I pray, Lord, especially as we've done specifically about this idea of joy and those things and opportunities for those joy robbers that will come into our life, that you would help us to put on the right mindset. That we would have a single mindset. It would be about the kingdom of God. It would be about our Lord Jesus. And Lord, that we would submit our will and our desires and that we would treat others higher than ourselves. That we would have a spiritual mindset. One that wouldn't just focus here on this earth, but one that would know that there is an eternity in heaven. And that's our goal. And that's our, our, our striving after. Things not that's going to rust. Not that somebody could steal or things that could be destroyed. But we strive after things that will last for all of eternity. And Lord, we then get to enjoy that secure mindset. The security that's only found in one place. The security that, that our world is yearning for, desiring for, chasing after. The security that's found in your presence. And so Lord, may we have that kind of mind as we live our lives having those protectors and those producers of joy right there with us. So guide us as we leave from here this day. May you bless us for your glory and for your honor, not for ourselves, not so we can puff out our chest, but so that we may give glory to you, Lord. We ask for your blessing. We are so grateful and thankful for all the many gifts that you've given us. So as we live our lives this week, may we live them in the fullness of joy. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Have a great week. Lord bless you.